Well, we have a fantastic weekend, and uh, you know, God's yet to do some things in people's lives. We've been hearing him speak to us during our worship this morning, which was really great. I, I really um, love coming to this church community and love the, the fact that I, I never feel like I'm a visiting speaker. I feel very much at home. Um, hi, everybody in the balcony. Uh, notoriously, I always forget that there are people up there, and afterwards, Matthew says, you didn't look up enough. So I'm going to go like this, the whole, and who are these people down here in the cheap seats? You know, I don't know who they are, but, um, but it, is, it, is, it is wonderful to be back and to see the growth that's happening and, and sense of God's mission amongst us as a people, which is really, really wonderful. And we as a family of churches, so thrilled that you're joining with us, uh, giving generously towards this mission that we're involved in together. A number of you will be at our leadership conference in a few weeks' time where people are coming in from all different nations, and uh, that's where we'll be taking up the big offering. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much. And just to encourage you that what you give will go and keep on going to extend the kingdom of God amongst us. I'm going to embarrass them, but there's some friends of mine here this morning, uh, Jen and uh, Rims and Jen, and uh, they are from our church in South London, but they actually are living in Mozambique. And Mozambique's a bit of a tough country, but they are massively wonderful pioneers, part of a whole crowd of people that have actually come across different spheres in New Frontiers to come together. They're planting churches, they're training people, they're doing uh, a whole load of um, uh, things with, called Eggs for Africa. You're one of the biggest egg producing, are you the biggest egg producing thing in Mozambique? You probably are and everything. And now they're doing crocodile farming. It's all very exciting stuff. <laughs> Uh, so could you just stand up and give these two a really wonderful welcome. Well Bless you. Amen. And uh, Reems is actually Dutch, but was raised in Zimbabwe, and Jen is kind of Scottish-Irish, and her parents were missionaries in Nepal, so she was raised there. So they're kind of a bit of a mixed thing. They're back here to have their third child. That is a very sensible thing to do and not have that in Mozambique, but come here. So it's great. It's wonderful for us to have them here too. It's wonderful. Um, okay, um, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to the book of Numbers, please. And we're just going to read a few verses together um, and believe that God is going to speak to us. This is a story that's quite familiar. If you've been around church for a bit, if you haven't, you'll quickly pick up on it. And there's a kind of reference to it, actually, in our worship this morning about Joshua being given permission to come into the promised land and that scripture we heard read to us about being courageous is because there's enemies in the land and you're about to take control of them because God will be with you as he was with with Moses but if you go back 40 years you come to this passage in Numbers chapter 13 and it's actually the passage about when the first uh, uh, people with Moses came to the promised land which God had promised to give them and um, they kind of, they camp out over the river, this side of the River Jordan, and you'll know the story, they send 12 guys into the promised land to spy out the land, uh, and to see what, how the land lies and who's there. It's a kind of recce before the armies kind of go in. And um, the, the spies come back, and, and basically the story is that there's 12 of them, and they all agree. And what they saw, no one's making it up, all 12 of them say, yes, absolutely, this is our report. But 10 of them uh, surmised because of this, uh, what they saw, that we can't possibly go in and take the land after all. Uh, it, it's, just too, it's just too great. 
And two of them said, yeah, they're right, but we can take this land. So two had a completely different kind of viewpoint to, to the ten. And uh, Joshua and Caleb are the two guys who, who kind of wanted to say something that, that would actually energize these people to go and do it. But here's the report in verse 27. Let's read it together. This is the spies speak, speaking. They told, that, they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. <laughs> it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they brought some grapes back with them. Hands up if you like grapes. Here we go. Brought the grapes back. Look, here's the produce of the land. So they kind of got a taste of the land, interesting, but didn't actually invade it. But they actually tasted it right then and then because they brought it back with them. Um, and uh, it flows with milk and honey. So this is an amazing place. Verse 28. However, do you ever have a conversation with somebody and they're saying lots of things to you, but then you know there's a but coming? You know, sometimes come, people come to me and say things like that, and I just know that something is about to be said. It's kind of, here's the but moment. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, just to add in a little bit of flavor, we saw the descendants of Anak there. They were just giants. They were big, big, big people. Slightly mythological, but they were kind of, we saw these people that were there. Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land. And it talks about all these different ites that are there. And uh, some are in the hill country, and some are dwelling by the sea, and all along the Jordan. In other words, there's no room for us. We can't possibly get in there. It's already crowded. Every, you know, every, everything's taken. The towels are already on the seats by the pool. I mean, there's no room for any of us. We can't go. Verse 30, but Caleb, Caleb and Joshua, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw, saw in it are of a great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, sons of, sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. If you just turn over into chapter 14, just a few verses, because the story goes on, there's this big debate going on, shall we go, shall we stay? And, and it's just kind of there, it's still kind of living. And uh, Joshua gets up and says, verse 7, to all the congregation of the people, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. didn't really work congregation picked up stones and wanted to throw them at them and complained that they'd ever come here and wished they were back in Egypt and are we just going to die in the desert? So it's a very, very powerful kind of uh, pictorial kind of thing that's going on here before them. If you go back into chapter 13 with me, what actually is going on here? God has promised 
that he will be with them. God has promised that he will give them the land. They then send out spies. They look at everything that they can see there. They bring back this report. And they basically say, we're not strong enough to do it. And they say things like that that the, the walls of their fortifications are up to heaven. And the people are very, very big in this land. And uh, in fact, they're giants. In fact, they saw the sons of Anak there. And, and therefore, the whole problem is too big for us. The, the problem is too great for us. It's a little bit like saying, shall we invade Holland? Oh no, the Dutch are there. They are very tall. <laughs> it's kind of like, every, if you've ever been to Holland, everybody's kind of like, in, they're like giants. It's like saying, we can't go in the land because the Dutch are there because their height is high. I mean, what has size got to do with anything? What is this obsession in this passage with the size of people or the size of the buildings? I mean, if God is with you, what has size got to do with the problem? And so you see here, there's these people, they're caving in, they're giving up. They can't possibly go. Look at that last verse with me. We seemed like uh, ourselves like grasshoppers compared to them, and so we seem to them. How do you know that? How earth did they come to that conclusion? Interestingly, often the way you see yourself is how you think other people see you. So they had come to the conclusion, they are very big, we are very small, and therefore we are very small in their eyes. This whole kind of message is saying, come on, I'm trying to draw you out a little bit, wonder what you think is the big deal that's going on here. Because it's obviously not the fortified cities. It's obviously not the Dutch. It's obviously not the size of, the, of, of them. And it's obviously nothing to do with how small they think they are. So what is the key? What is stopping them going to get into the land? I believe that the answer is one word, and the answer is this, intimidation. The, the, this is all about being intimidated by something that actually isn't even true. It's amazing that people can make up things that cause them to feel intimidated, but the truth is, is the complete and utter opposite. And I think there are three ingredients going on, and I want to just apply them to us today, this morning. <clears throat> the three ingredients are these. Number one, they have forgotten who they are. So actually the grapes and the milk and honey and the giants is not the issue. The issue is they've forgotten who they are. Joshua and Caleb knew who they were. Who were they? They were the people of God. They were the people to whom the land had been promised. They were the covenant people of God. Wherever you put your foot, I will give that to you. They'd forgotten that. They had imagined that they're grasshoppers. We're something different to what we are in reality. So every time a Christian forgets who he or she is, there's trouble brewing. And one of the first things that will brew is intimidation. Because the first moment you forget who you are, you are intimidated because we're all of us this morning facing, as we'll see in a moment, all kinds of intimidation, every one of us. We're so easily, I am so easily intimidated and it really doesn't help when I've forgotten who I am as a child of God. I mean, I know my weaknesses and I know everything. That's part of the problem. But the reality is I am in Christ. I am a new creation. I am part of the covenant people of God. The second thing is they'd forgotten who their enemy was. And that's a very, very important thing. 
You need to know your enemy. So they're intimidated because, number one, they've forgotten who they are. Number two, they've forgotten who their enemies are. Do you know what the reality really was? The people, if you can read other passages around this, were shaking in their boots. These so-called giants in the land were terrified. So their, their whole view, these spies, was completely warped. Because the reality was, the people were saying, shaking in their boots. If you're ever a, f- uh, a fan like I am of Asterix comics, you'll know what this looks like. And just kind of in the trenches, kind of, the people of God who cross the Red Sea and God provides miraculously and defeat every enemy before them are at our doorstep. And so the spy's view of the enemy was a completely wrong report. You've got to know who your enemy is. You've got to know who is intimidating you as much as you need to know yourself. They had forgotten who they were and they've forgotten who their enemy is. Joshua and Caleb hadn't. This is the difference between the two. The intimidation was real for Joshua and Caleb as well. But they said, no, they're right. These guys are right. There are giants and there's fortified. But look at who we are. And look at who they are. A defeated enemy before we've even gone in there. Third thing is this. They knew that God was with them. And that God had made these amazing promises the ten have forgotten this great God that we've been singing about this morning who rules and reigns over all the earth. Their eyes had gone off him and gone on to the problem and then gone on to themselves. And they were completely wrong about themselves and they were completely wrong about the enemy. And then they'd forgotten that this God is with us to defeat this enemy who's coming against us. When you know that God is with you, And you know the promises that this God has already made for you, individually or corporately as a church. It just changes the whole battle scene. Everything is transformed. There are people here this morning who have forgotten who they are and who have forgotten who the enemy is and maybe even have forgotten this this life-transforming thing, which is that whatever you are facing right now, God has promised to be with you and he has made promises concerning you. We won't read this passage together because I know you all know about it, but if you flick over into another story, 1 Samuel chapter 17, you can read it later, is the story of David and Goliath. The similarities between the story of entering the promised land and David facing Goliath are really stark. I mean, they really are uh, just so similar. So here we have the, the armies of Israel, and they're in their trenches, And every morning, here we go, son of Anak, this great kind of Goliath guy comes out and he just defies the armies of the living God. Who will come against me? And so he stands there and he does this every time. And every time he does it, the people of Israel run away into their trenches and they hide away. What is going on? They're being intimidated by the giant who comes before them. David turns up. He's not being tainted by what's going on. He doesn't understand what's going on. But the intimidation is this, that the people of Israel have forgotten who they are, the people of God. They've forgotten who the enemy is, Goliath, who's come against them to defeat them, so-called. But they've forgotten who he is. And they've forgotten that God is with them. 
to see this great victory won. And here's David, and David turns up with his sandwiches to give to the, to the to brothers, and he's there, and he's facing this enemy. And he looks at this enemy, and he says, not in a quiet voice, it doesn't sound, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should come against the armies of the living God? And you can imagine them all saying, shh, have you seen the size of him? What are you, be quiet, be quiet. But they've forgotten who they were. And they've forgotten who the enemy was. And they've forgotten who God, God was with them. David knew who he was, a covenant child of God. And he knew who the enemies are. I mean, to put it nicely, I can't put this nicely, he may be big, but he's uncircumcised. It's basically what I say. What does that mean? It means it doesn't matter how big the problem. If he's not of the covenant people of God, we can take him out. And David knew that he couldn't do that in his own resources. But he knew that God was with him. And if God is with him, who can be against us? And it's a wonderful lesson of same thing they were facing on the borders of the promised land. Intimidation. You're getting the message this morning. It's all it is. Just that one word. These, the Israelites could have dealt with Goliath on the first day. Day after day, week after week. Coming out, running back, coming out, running back. It needed someone who knew who he was and knew who the enemy was and knew that God was with him. That is the key to overcoming intimidation. It isn't let's sing a whole load of songs and jolly along and trying to kind of get things going and maybe that will solve the problem. It's simply the same today for us. I'm amazed, as though I've been a Christian for so many years, unbelievable amount of time now, that I so easily get intimidated. After all these years, it's just something. It's just, I just get intimidated. I see the problem. I see the enemy. I see myself. I forget that God has said things and these problems. And I find myself giving in to the fear of giving in to intimidation. Maybe I'm the only person in this room today that has this problem. But my suspicion is there might be one or two others that could identify with this. I, I think uh, right now, Christianity in secular Europe, this is the problem. We're getting far too intimidated. We've forgotten who we are. And we're all a bit nervous and wondering, you know, how are we going to handle this secularized world in which we live? And some of us have forgotten that the secular enemy is, is just, you know, God's just going to blow on it. You know, when I became a Christian, the biggest problem in the world was communism. We were all warned about it. This is going to wipe out Christianity. It's not, you know, everything. By the time my children that, you know, were old enough to understand, I had to explain to them what communism was. There just came a moment when God blew on the whole thing, and this was the great opposition. And today we may have other things that we're, we're opposing us, and God will blow on them as well. We have to understand that this opposition cannot stand in the timeless promises of God. Hallelujah. He is going to make all these things come to pass. He has already set, it says in Psalm 2, his son on the holy mountain. And all the nations, it says, rages against him. God sits in the heavens and laughs. Why does he do that? The whole thing's all been sorted. You can rage as much as you like. The victory is strong and secure. And sometimes we get into secular 
society because we've forgotten. <laughs> we may be small in number, there may be churches declining and buildings closing, but God is with us. And that's what's going to make all the difference. Going to the New Testament and we find Jesus. Let me quickly just mention, you, you may be surprised to hear this, but Jesus potentially was intimidated. Just as the people of Israel, just as they had done before the giants in the land or before uh, Goliath, Jesus himself, as he walked this earth, was intimidated. We are intimidated. The difference is Jesus never gave in to it. And we've got to learn a lesson this morning that there is a way not to be intimidated if we live in him and his power and his strength. So, for example, in Mark's Gospel, we find that um, uh, uh, Jesus is, is kind of having an amazing time. There are miracles happening. The crowds are coming. The disciples are on a roll. They just think this is it. All the way to Jerusalem, take out the Romans. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And it is an amazing story of wonderful, miraculous things going on. And then suddenly you get to chapter 4 of Mark and into chapter 5, and it is a catalogue of intimidation to prevent Jesus from fulfilling the mission that his heavenly Father has given to him. So let me remind you what happens. It's just one after another. He's in a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go to the other side. And while they're out in the in Sea of Galilee, this enormous storm takes place. If you ever know anything about fishermen, they know lots about storms, they handle storms, they kind of know how to control a storm, but then suddenly this storm is like no other storm they've ever, ever come across. And they're out there on the boat trying to get to the other side, and someone says, can Jesus give us a hand, where is he? And someone says he's fast asleep in the back of the boat. And I can imagine some of them saying, typical carpenter, you know, what does he know about storms and fishing? Well, they arouse Jesus, they wake him up, and he comes out, and he, he looks at the storm. He sees what's going on, and then he rebukes the storm, and the storm becomes completely quiet. And there's a funny little conversation he has with his disciples after that concerning, you know, you of little faith. And it's just like the disciples were frightened of the storm, and now who is this man that can calm the storm? It's a very funny conversation. And then they're upbraided for their lack of faith. And, Come on, this is a storm and a half. Give us a break. We are allowed to be a little bit nervous. And so what was all that about? Well, Jesus has said, let's go to the other side. And the storm is to intimidate, as it already had done them, the Son of God. And he's not having it. He's going to deal with it. But the intimidation was real. Creation tries to intimidate the Son of God and because Jesus knows who he is and knows who the enemy is and knows that his father is with him, he's able to overcome that intimidation. So they get to the other side and they get out of the boat. The first thing that happens is this naked man comes over the horizon and starts running towards them. And it says in the Bible that this man was so demonized that they would have to chain him. He lived in the cemetery and he would cut himself and cut these chains. No one could do anything for him. Nobody can do anything for him. And he's running down the bank towards Jesus. Slightly intimidating, wouldn't you think, if it was you? You know, and then Jesus says, who are you? And he says, I am religion. And it's like, this is not a person with a psychological problem. This is a person who is probably the most demonized person that's ever met, that anyone's ever met on this planet. 
intimidation. The hordes of demonic activity are coming against Jesus, the Son of God. And he rebukes this legion, commands these spirits to go. And such is the wonderful overcoming of that intimidation. This man is transformed for the rest of his life and it has all kinds of repercussions for everybody around. Then, a few moments later, these guys come running up to Jesus. It's all happening very quick time and they say to him, Jairus, who you know, his daughter is very, very sick, but we know that you can heal the sick, so will you come to Jairus' house and heal this daughter? So Jesus, having just got over the, 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 the intimidation of this huge demonic activity and rebuking it, now finds he's on his way to Jairus' daughter. On his way, the crowds are so crowding around him that someone touches him. And, the, and, and disciples who are very intelligent and say, well, how, well, everyone's touching you. What do you mean? He said, no, someone's touched me because I've felt power go from me. And then he has a conversation with a lady who has touched him. You have to understand what's going on. The scriptures doesn't, doesn't say she was sick. It says all doctors had tried to heal her. She has spent all the money she had on these doctors. In other words, no one can heal this person. That's fairly intimidating, Jesus. No one. No doctors. No one. You know, sometimes when I used to pray for people who were sick, I made the classic mistake of asking them, before I pray for you, just tell me what's wrong with you. And sometimes the, the person then went on and on about this and on about that. And I wish I'd never asked you. Because now you're making this so intimidating. Don't think anything's going to happen for you. Jesus miraculously heals this person who can never be healed by any doctor. Are you getting the picture? The intimidation of the storm. The intimidation of the demoniac that no one could sort out. Now there's the intimidation. Oh, by the way, she spent all her money. Every doctor she's ever seen, no one can... We just thought we'd add that in. And Jesus heals her miraculously. And you know the story, some of you. By the time he's got to Jairus' daughters, she's dead. Don't trouble the teacher. Nice try, Jesus, but you're just a little bit behind time. Uh, you're a little bit late. You kind of, kind of got an African mentality. You should have been here quite some time ago. You've obviously just strolled along the road. Little did they know that he's gone through the storm and the demoniac and the woman being healed. And this is the most, one of the most intimidating scriptures that there is. Because as he gets to the house, as some of you have been to the Middle East, you'll know this is true, they, they pay people to wail and to mourn the dead. This, this child is dead. They all know that this has happened. It's too late. You might be able to heal someone or two people, you can't deal with death. And Jesus is amazing. He has to go through the crowd of intimidation. He says she's not dead. She's going to be raised. And they all, it says, and they all laughed at him. You've got to understand, Jesus is a real person living through the reality of what a lot of us face on a daily basis. It's not foreign to him. He's now having to get rid, and he actually says he pushed everybody out, and he just in, went in with two of his disciples. And he speaks to this child, grabs her by the hand, raises her from the dead. By the way, you can look slightly excited about some of these things that we're talking about. I mean, this is a story of victory, not of defeat. You're all looking like, I don't know how the story ends. Come on, you do, really. <laughs> and, so, and so this child is then raised. Can you imagine? 
as he held her and they walked out of the house to the crowds who'd been all wailing and mourning because this child was dead. How extraordinary that must have been. But surrounding, I think sometimes we have a picture of Jesus just went round like this very coolly, you know, very kind of doing this. You've got to understand, he was intimidated. Intimidated by creation, by the demonic, by sicknesses that no one could heal. And now death itself. I'm always fascinated when I've read through this massive intimidation that because Jesus knew who he was, you get in the picture, he knew who the enemy really, really was, couldn't stand against him, already defeated. And because he knew his heavenly Father was with him and had given him promises, he was able to overcome all intimidation. And when you are as clear as that, it's amazing how quickly things are defeated, how quickly Goliath falls, how quickly the promised land could have been taken if they'd listened to Joshua and Caleb, how quickly Jesus dealt with all this potential intimidation. I kind of tracked it, Mark 4 and 5, and it's interesting to me that when you've got the power of God's word in you, you don't have to say very much. And those four things I just mentioned to you from, do you know what Jesus actually said? He said, quiet, be still, come out, who touched me, and get up. Because it's amazing. You don't have to have great big education and long words and things. You just have to know who you are and who the enemy is and that God is with you. Jesus was intimidated by the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever read that passage, but it's the same theme. It's full of intimidation. It was intimidating. Jesus, come on, if you did this, then you did that, and it's all very... Subtle, but it's all full of intimidation. And he overcomes that intimidation, that temptation through the word of God. The religious leaders of the day. You've got to, please stay with me in this. You've got, to, you've got to get into the story. The leaders of the day, the religious leaders, were sent down to Jerusalem to check him out. So Jesus would start teaching. No offence to any of you on the back row, but the religious leaders always sat on the back row and, like some of you, folded their arms. And what was the folding of their arms about? I mean, some of you might be doing that this morning about my sermon. Oh, yeah, yeah. But with Jesus, it was, yeah, okay, come on then. And Jesus is preaching, and there's a back row of folded arms who were all just there for one purpose, which is to intimidate him, check him out. Is he who he says he is? Because we're going back to the religious leaders, and Jesus knew that. What they didn't know is that Jesus even knew what they were thinking. But it was intimidating. Even the disciples, I wouldn't have wanted to hang out with these guys. They were completely intimidating sometimes to Jesus. They're always giving Jesus advice. They're always kind of saying, we know, you know, what are they doing? They can't, they're not with us, chuck them out. Come on, let's, let's go get the Romans, you know. And at one point, Jesus has to say to one of the disciples, listen, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he was so intimidating Jesus, trying to prevent him from fulfilling his mission. Even the guys on the same side were intimidating and trying to prevent him. He has to overcome it. Jesus is then intimidated by the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's in agony. What's all that about? It's a massive intimidation coming against him, through which he breaks through. Hallelujah. He faces the cross with all its intimidation. 
the loneliness, the fact that he's going to be naked, the fact that people who are disciples will think this is defeat. And he's desperately trying to tell them it's not. He then faces death itself on our behalf. The greatest intimidation that man knows because is death itself. Even the atheist at that moment of facing death has this niggling doubt of fear because that's what it's produced, unless you know who you are and where you're going. Jesus faced death itself and through the power of the resurrection he overcame this. Sometimes the, the intimidation that Jesus faced was very, very, very subtle. These are all kind of obvious ones. And let me give you one example of subtle intimidation. Jesus is in a room and he's speaking to all his followers, his disciples, and suddenly there's a knock on the door. And the knock on the door is from a, a, a little servant guy. And outside of the door are Jesus' mother and brothers. And they have come because they're concerned about Jesus. And even though the claims they have about him being the son of God, they actually think he's quite mad. They actually think he really does believe he is the son of God. And so it, the Bible says they, have ca they came to take him away. What were they taking him away from? His mission to die on the cross. So his own family are trying to prevent Jesus from going on to his mission, and Jesus knows this. Notice the scene. They are outside of the room, not in the room. And they don't come in the room themselves. They send someone on their behalf. This is called emotional blackmail. This is intimidation. And it's emotional blackmail because Mary particularly and the brothers were saying Jesus has always been a good boy. He has always responded every time we've called him. He is totally obedient. He loves his mother and father. He does what we say. So we will stand outside here. The servant will go in and Jesus would immediately come out to us because I'm his mother and we are brothers and we will stay here and wait. So the little servant comes in to the room. He probably wasn't little. We've got a thing about size going on this morning, but he, he comes, I always think of him as a little servant, comes in, and there's the crowd, and Jesus is just carrying on teaching. We don't know what he was teaching, but it would have been the stuff he's teaching everywhere to his disciples, and he's teaching, his teaching, and he's aware this little guy's come in, and he carries on and carries, carries on. And there must have been a moment in the sermon where he pauses and said, yes. And the little servant says, your mother, this is the message, your mother and your brothers are outside. And you can imagine Jesus just carries on teaching these people and then says this most extraordinary thing, who is my mother and my brothers? These who are following me, not those who are distracting me, these who are following me, and these are my mother and brothers. I mean, the offence of that statement is absolutely extraordinary. And I think when Jesus said it, he knew exactly what this was. This was emotional intimidation. If I give in to this family call right now, then I'm never going to fulfill. This is a big deal. And I think in his heart he's saying, as I offend my mother and brothers, because I will not be intimidated by this, in his heart he's saying, Father, bring them through. Bring them through. Bring them through. And we all know that at the cross there was Mary. There were the brothers. They made it. They got through the offence. They didn't win the intimidation game. 
But at that moment, it must have been totally extraordinary. Well, the, the servant must have kind of... So, so Jesus, the brothers, this has taken an awful long time. Maybe he's been away from us a long time. He's forgotten what it means to obey your mother and father. And uh, it's ages and ages. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And in the end, the servant finally comes out. And they go, where's, you know, you say, where's Jesus? It's just the servant again. And the servant's standing, I think by this time, a little bit of a smile on his face. And he says, well, what's the message? He said, um, you know you think you're his mother. <laughs> and you guys used to think that you were his brothers. Well, you're not anymore, because that lot in there, they're his mother. And I mean, the offence was awful, terrible. And while we're dealing with the demoniac, and while we're dealing with the storms, they are real things. Here's another subtle intimidation to cause Jesus not to fulfill his mission. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we will never overcome intimidation alone. You will not deal with intimidation through self-effort. How are we going to deal with intimidation? Same message. Know who we are, know who the enemy is, and know that God is with us. That's the only message we've got for every one of us. And every one of us in the room is probably being intimidated right now by something and someone or some event. And you and I know what those things are. How do we do that? Well, we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, that we are more than conquerors through him. We overcome not through our own power, but through his authority, because we're in him and his power. Some of us are going to see massive breakthrough in intimidation just because we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We say, we're not having this. This is not true. This is who I am. And we've got to know who the enemy is as well. And we've got to know that God is with us. I think being filled with the Spirit daily, who's our empowerer and our helper. I think some of us need to renew our minds because intimidation often comes into the way that we think and we need truth invading our minds because a lot of intimidation is just a pack of lies, but they're so real we believe them. We need to train ourselves so that we're able to overcome the lies of the enemy. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against you can stand. If God is for us, Who can be against us? Fear not is the most frequently given promise throughout the whole Bible. Fear not, for I am with you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You intimidated this morning by someone or something. Let's stand. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment? I'd love us to pray for people this morning before we go. I, I don't think this is a word today that it's just a nice word that we can just go home and thank you very much and forget about it. I think God just wants us to respond to Him. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring to light? all over this room, right up there in the balcony, to every one of us, those areas of intimidation that many of us are facing right now. And Lord, we pray that we would so understand who we are, truly get who the enemy is, a defeated foe, truly understand that you really are with us, that we would go from here 
and face those intimidations again, because they're real, but overcome them. There are people here this morning that I've got circumstances right now that are very, very intimidating. I want to really encourage you, if I can use the metaphor, if you're in the boat and there's a storm raging right now that's totally intimidating you, Jesus is with you in the boat and he is at peace and you are in him. I sometimes think of Peter on that boat and it's a passage in Acts where it says later on, Peter was in prison in chains and the next day is going to have his head chopped off and it says and he was fast asleep I wonder if Peter remembered the boat he was at peace he knew that he would not be intimidated and Lord right now I pray for people facing sometimes overwhelming circumstances um, and they're real that we would find you in the midst of them and the intimidation will go in Jesus name Lord, I want to pray this morning because there are people here who are afraid. Some of us are afraid of what people think about us. I'm amazed about how I get intimidated by people so easily. Is there someone that's intimidating you right now? That illustration of of Jesus and his family is actually very powerful for some people in this room today. Just want you to know that any relationship you have with anyone, it could be your mother, your brother, it could be your it could be friends, it could be family members. If that if that relationship intimidates you or controls you or manipulates you, just as just just Jesus' mother was trying to do with Jesus, can I say to you lovingly, it's not right. It's intimidating you, it's not right, and some radical decisions may need to be made to come out from that shadow of intimidation. Any relationship that intimidates, it cannot be of God. Perfect love casts out fear. Maybe you're someone here this morning who is intimidated by death, by the fear of the future. Maybe you're full of anxiety. I think some of us get fearful and intimidated by illness. Some of us are intimidated by our children. What I mean by that is you're frightened about what will become of them, how will it turn out. We're already being intimidated by those thoughts. Some of us this morning are intimidated by the unknown. Where will I be in the future? It's already beginning to trouble some of us. Which country will I be in? What about my exams? What about the next stage of my life? And Father, this morning I want you to come amongst us and set us free from all forms of intimidation. The intimidation is real, but we're just not to give in to it. Thank you, Jesus. You were never intimidated by anything or anyone. We absolutely love you for that. And we sense you did it on our behalf. You sympathize with our weaknesses. And so, Lord, you understand every potential intimidation. Amen. Amen. We'll just have a bit of music. We won't have a singing of a song. If you would like to be prayed for, there are people here that would love to pray for you. I know you've got to go and get your kids kind of now. But if you would like us to pray for you, we would love to do it. I I really don't think it's a matter of laying hands on people and kind of casting out intimidation. (laughs) It's not like that. It's standing with you in the midst of your intimidation and praying that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, these next few weeks, you will have the joy 
of reminding yourself of who you are. That's what I'd like us to pray for each other. This is who you are. This is who the enemy is. Nothing formed against him shall stand.